Amen. It's fun to celebrate baptisms on Easter Sunday, isn't it? Man, I love it. I love it every single, I love it every year. I love it every time we baptize people, but I especially love it on Easter Sundays. What a picture-perfect way to celebrate Jesus's life, death and burial, and then resurrection. And we identify him, identify with him in the act of baptism, doing it publicly in front of the church. It's such a joy. Um, And we remember that Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen again on Easter Sunday today. So I am so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you for being here. I know that many of you, the vast majority of you, would probably call UBC your church home. I also know that we have some very special guests that I'd like to recognize here today as well. These special guests um, go by simple titles. They are CEOs, GI Joes, and I don't knows, okay? So CEOs, I'm not talking about the business kind. I'm talking about people who go to church on Christmas and Easter only, right? CEOs, okay? We also have some GI Joes, not the military kind as much as I appreciate the military community, um, We're talking about Joes, like guys, you know, dudes who come to church only by grandma's invite, right? G.I. Joes. Some of you are here today because grandma invited you. Others of you are here and you don't even know why. You're an I don't know, right? I just showed up, you know, somebody brought me, whatever. Here's Here's what I know. I know that even if you don't know why you're here, God knows why you're here. I believe that he has you here on purpose, for a purpose, and that if you open up your mind and your heart to him today, I believe that he will speak to you and you will hear his voice whispering to you. I'm so grateful for every one of you that's a guest with us today. Church family, those of you who are regular UBC attenders, can we just put our hands together and welcome all of our guests who are with us in this service today? It's awesome to have you. I want to take this opportunity to just invite you all to come back next Sunday. Um, Next Sunday, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called Asking for a Friend. And in that sermon series, we're going to be addressing questions that people are often kind of scared to ask out loud. So next Sunday, we are addressing the non-controversial issue whatsoever of how should I think biblically about voting in an election? Okay, so what are the two things that people in America tell us that we should never talk about? Religion and politics, right? We're going to hit them both in one sermon next week, right? So come on back, okay? Um, The week after that, April 23rd, we're going to be answering the question, hey, what if I have a friend or family member who is same-sex attracted? And we're going to address that issue. Uh, On April 30th, we will address the, the question of should a woman be a pastor, Okay, and so the reason why I'm telling you that is because one of the things that the church gets accused of often, we get accused of answering all these questions that nobody's asking anymore, right? Well, we're trying to kind of just kind of confront that issue and say, you know what, we're going to deal with some questions that people are asking, and we want to answer them through uh, a biblical perspective. And so I hope that you'll come back and join us over the next uh, few weeks. We would love to have you here. So today we're going to wrap up a sermon series that we've been doing for several weeks now called Brand New. And the whole premise behind this sermon series is that we believe Jesus changes people. We believe that you don't have to do what you've always done because you don't have to be who you've always been. We believe that Jesus changes people. Um, We have been emphasizing that he changes all kinds of people. We talked uh, earlier this month about how Jesus changes sinful uh, sinful people and brings us out of shame because of our sin and our mistakes, and he brings us into freedom. We talked about how Jesus changes tormented people, people who have a sense of maybe some demonic oppression. They live with real darkness in their minds and in their lives. And we've talked about how Jesus can deliver you and set you free. 
Um, we talked also in this series about how Jesus changes religious people, people who have tradition but no transformation, people who have religious rituals but they don't have a relationship with God, right? We talked about how Jesus changes people. On Good Friday, Scott Dixon preached and he talked about how Jesus changes dying people. Um, and praise God that even though some of us in our lives, like we, you know, we can be like the criminal on the cross where we have lived like help and we wonder if there can be any hope of heaven for us. And through Jesus, there is. We've been talking about how Jesus can make you brand new. He changes people. Today, I want to talk to you about how Jesus changes hopeless people. Hopeless people. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to open it up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20, is where we're going to be today. Now, we're talking about hope today, and different people have different understandings of hope. If you've been coming to our church for a while, you know that I mention this pretty often in my sermons, but... We live in a culture where people have different understandings of hope. Some people think of hope as something that you do. They think of it as a verb. Um, if you understand hope this way, then you might say things like, hey, I hope the Reds have a winning season. Or uh, right now, you might be saying you know, to yourself, I hope Jason doesn't really preach that long today. All right, so it's, it's, none of that is reality. All, of that is, all that is is just wishful thinking, okay? That's what that understanding of hope is. It's, it's a verb. It's something that you do. But there's another way to understand the idea of hope. It's to understand it not as something that you do, but as something that you have. To understand it as a noun. And so when you start to understand hope as a noun, you'll remember people who made famous quotes like this. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You are my only hope, right? Any Star Wars fans in the room? All right, a few of you. I should get a big amen from you on that quote, right? I did that just for you. Okay, um, no, in all seriousness, though, we start to think of hope as something that we have. It's why we just sang lyrics like we just sang a few minutes ago. In Christ alone, my hope is found. It's not wishful thinking. It's something that you have. It's a source of confidence and joy. Hope is a noun. It's something that you have, or it may be something that you don't have. And you may be here today, and your source of confidence and joy in life may be gone. And so when I talk about Jesus changing hopeless people, you may very quickly identify with that. So today, I want to talk to you about how Jesus changes hopeless people. Here's how I want to work through today's message. I want us to look at John chapter 20, and then we're going to pop over briefly also into John chapter 21. As we do, we're going to look at three different people in the resurrection narrative who were dealing with hopelessness themselves. I want to bring it home with some personal applications for you, and then after those applications, we'll have a video testimony from someone in our church, and then after that testimony is done, after that video is done, you will have an opportunity to receive prayer, to respond to whatever the Lord is putting on your heart today. And so I hope that you will open your heart, and I hope that you'll listen to what God is saying to you, because I believe Jesus changes people. And he may just have you here this Easter Sunday to change you. So let's look at John chapter 20. Before we do, it's always important to remember what led up to our passage. Um, so in the life and ministry of Jesus, you know, a lot has progressed by the time we get to John chapter 20. Jesus came to this earth. He's done his ministry. He's called his disciples. He's, you know, um, accomplished so much of, of the, what the Lord has called him to do. He's even already been betrayed by Judas. He had a mistrial by the Jewish council. He's been crucified on the cross. He's been buried in, in, in the grave for some days now. Mary Magdalene 
has come to his tomb and she found the stone rolled away and this scared her. She's wondering, did somebody take the body? So she's ran and she's told the disciples what's going on and now they have returned to the gravesite with her. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 11. It says this, but Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, it's important for you to understand something about the story here. Mary... um, she, she looks at this gardener and she says, hey, did you do something with Jesus' body? Which tells me that she still believes Jesus is dead, right? We, we uh, looking back 2,000 years now, we believe as Christians that Jesus rose again and we know that fact. But in that moment, Mary didn't know that. So it's important to kind of understand who Mary was and what she was thinking. If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll start to understand some things about Mary. She was one of Jesus' closest followers Jesus had worked an amazing transformation in her life. Just days prior to this, she had stood in front of the cross and she had watched her beloved friend Jesus just breathe his last breath on the cross. She saw Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus take his body down off the cross and bury it in a tomb. And now she had purchased these spices and she was gonna come and anoint his dead body because she cared deeply for Jesus. And she was dealing with the death of someone she loved. In other words, she was hopeless due to grief, due to grief. At this point, she's weeping. She talks to a man that she thought was the cemetery gardener. Of course, it was Jesus, but she didn't know that yet. Verse 16 says this, Jesus said to her, Mary, hey, Christian in the room, aren't you so glad that at some point in time in your life, Jesus called you by name, that you have been one of his sheep? who hear his voice. He's called you by name. He calls Mary by name right here. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Right, I'm imagining Mary running and just giving him a big hug. And you know, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. So there she was, right there in her grief, right? She was right there. And Jesus met her where she was and sent her on changed. He met her where she was, right there in her grief, in her sadness, in her tears. Jesus met her where she was and sent her on changed. Uh, He put her on a mission. He said, I've got a message for you to go and tell. And that's what she she did, right? She became different. Her attitude, her demeanor, the sense of her joy was back after encountering the risen Christ because Jesus changes people, even people who are hopeless dealing with their grief. Now, I'm mentioning that to you because you may come in here this Easter and you may very much relate with Mary. You may be coming in this Easter and you're dealing with the reality of death right now. Maybe you just got a diagnosis. Maybe you just got a report. Maybe you recently lost a loved one. Maybe your heart is aching. And when you see Mary, what I want you to see today is this. Jesus changes people. People who are hopeless due to 
their grief related to death. Now that's the first type of hopeless person that we see in this passage. We're going to see another one just a little bit later in the text. Over the next few verses, from verses um, 19 through 23, we see that Jesus actually comes and he appears to some of the disciples. They had heard Mary's message, but not all the disciples were there. We're going to read in just a minute. But Jesus is going to encounter one of those disciples in a very special way. So let's pick up in verse 24. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So here, guys, we have Thomas. He's one of the twelve apostles, right? These you'd think that after spending all this time with Jesus, observing his life and ministry, like direct personal contact with Jesus, you would think that he would have this unshakable faith, right? But here he is. And what condition is he in? He's skeptical. He is doubting. And we can see that his confidence, his confidence that would lead to certain joy, right? That was gone. And it was gone because of his doubts. He was hopeless due to his doubts. Well, Jesus is going to show up in this doubting disciple's life. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says this, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So in this chapter, Jesus shows up again and he shows up in the life of Thomas. He meets Thomas right where he's at and then he sends him on changed. Right? He meets Thomas right where he's at. Thomas is dealing with doubts. He's skeptical. I I won't believe unless I see right? So he meets Thomas right where he's at, and then he sends him out changed, right? Thomas goes, and now he's saying, my Lord, my God. And he believes in Jesus as Lord. And in fact, Thomas's faith like continued through the rest of his life. And if you study church history, what you'll see about Thomas is that Thomas actually left Jerusalem and took the gospel to the region that we now know as India. He preached the gospel there and uh, actually ended up suffering and dying and held on to his faith. The guy that once doubted held on to his faith and was martyred for his faith uh, as a Christian. Guys, he was different after encountering the risen Christ because Jesus changes people. Jesus changes people who are hopeless and dealing with their doubts. So again, maybe you can relate with that today. Maybe you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus. You've trusted Jesus. You would call yourself a Christian, but you doubt. You've had questions that have been brought to you that you can't answer. It's kind of shaking your faith. You waver because you have doubts. If that's you, I want you to know, I think that Thomas is in the Bible for you. Like, I think that Jesus wants you to know he he meets people like you because Jesus changes people, people who are dealing with their doubts. Now, that's chapter 20. We're going to bump ahead to John chapter 21, and we're going to see a third type of hopeless person who encounters Jesus. At this point in the narrative, You know, um, several of the disciples were now out fishing. Jesus meets them while they're out fishing and he brings them in and has breakfast with them. And after breakfast, he pulls one of them aside, the disciple named Peter, and they have this conversation. Look at verse 15 of chapter 21. 
It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. So he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Guys, why would Peter be grieved? Why would he be grieved that Jesus asked him three times in a row, why do you love me? Here's why Peter would be grieved. Because if you know the story leading up to the crucifixion, you know what happened to Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' most committed, zealous disciples. Jesus was with his disciples um, having a Passover meal on the night before he was crucified. And he, Jesus told his disciples, hey, even uh, tonight, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter, you know, stands up and he says, uh, Lord, even if all the rest of these disciples betray you, I never will. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you know what? Before the rooster crows three times in the morning, you, uh, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter, the zealous disciple, committed to protecting, defending, following Jesus, he denied Christ before his crucifixion. And now he's seeing Jesus again after that happened. He was ashamed. I bet he was embarrassed. Jesus had to ask him three times, do you love me? And, and I believe that Peter is experiencing a sense of hopelessness due to what? Due to his failures. Now verse 17, let's finish it out. Jesus had just asked him a third time, do you love me? And he, Peter, said to Jesus, verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And in that, some of you who are in this room today, you have had a spiritual failure and you, Jesus is coming to you and you're like, Lord, you know that I love you in my heart. Even though I've made mistakes, you know it. And Jesus said to him, now a third time, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus tell Peter three times to go and feed his sheep? I think it's why Peter needed to hear one commissioning statement to go for every time he had denied Christ. Three denials, three times Jesus said no. I'm going to send you out. You're going to feed my sheep. See, here's the truth. Peter may have denied Jesus, but Jesus never denied Peter. In this moment right here, yes, Jesus did know everything. And he knew of Peter's sin against him, every bit of it. But he also knew of Peter's love for him. And now Jesus wants to say, Peter, this moment right here, it's really not about how much you love me. It's about how much I love you. So like each of the others we've talked about in this passage, Jesus did the same thing again. He met Peter right where he was at and he sent him out changed. He was restored, commissioned, and sent back on mission for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Peter did. If you've been coming to our church and you've uh, been here while we've talked through the, gospel, or the, the book of Acts in the New Testament, you see that Peter went and he boldly preached the gospel at Pentecost. He boldly preached Christ, led many people to believe the gospel. He was no longer denying Jesus. Now he was proclaiming Jesus. He went on to be a leader in the church until he was martyred for the faith as well. And two of his letters end up in our Bible now called First and Second Peter. Listen, he was different after encountering the resurrected Christ. Why? Because Jesus changes people. The resurrected Christ changes people, people who are hopeless um, in their failures. And some of you may be here today and you can relate because maybe you've been a Christian for some time. 
Maybe you have been following Jesus some time, and, and people may look at you and think of you as, you know what, that's a, that guy, that girl, solid believer. And in fact, maybe you've had seasons of zeal for Christ where you were on fire for him, but you know what happened? Recently you blew it. You did something that you never thought you'd do, or maybe something you, that you had done in the past, and you promised the Lord, I'll never let it happen again. And now, like Peter, you're just ashamed, you know? Here's what you need to learn from Peter. Jesus changes people. People who have failed. People who have messed up spiritually. Jesus changes people. Here's three summary takeaways for us. Three takeaways, application points for you. Number one, if you feel hopeless in your grief, Jesus can give you joy. If you're coming in here today and Easter Sunday is all about life, right? But you're dealing with death and it's really taking a toll on you. Here's why the resurrection matters for you. It shows you that God can give life after death even to you. It shows you that the grave has been defeated for you. It shows you that death doesn't have to have the final word on you. And if you're dealing with death today, remember the resurrection and Jesus will help you move from grief to joy. Here's the second takeaway for us today. If you're hopeless in your doubts, if you are really wrestling with doubt, Jesus can help you believe. Some of you are, are here again today on one of the most celebrated of Christian holidays, the Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But if you're honest, you're skeptical, you might not even believe in the resurrection. You might not be sure that it happens. Here's why the resurrection narrative and Jesus' interaction with Thomas, here's why it matters for you. Because it shows us that the Lord understands that people doubt and some of us need evidence. And then he gives it. What do we remember on Easter Sunday? That the stone was rolled away. But as has been said many times before, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that people like us could see in. And see that it was empty, right? Jesus let Thomas touch him, not because Jesus needed a hug or something like that, but Thomas needed the evidence. I want to see the nails. I want to see the holes in his hands and his feet. Jesus knew that Thomas needed evidence. And so for some of you, you may be that same way. You need evidence to help galvanize your faith, to help strengthen your faith. And you know what? Here's what I would want to ask you to consider. Um, Consider the evidence when it comes to the resurrection. You know, Jesus' body, Jesus of Nazareth, his body was never found. Listen, if the Roman Empire or anybody else has ever wanted to just discredit Christianity and shut it down altogether, all they would have had to do is produce the body of Jesus of Nazareth. They never produced it. Consider this. The apostles suffered and died for the message they proclaimed. Because here's the thing, many people will say, you know what, these apostles just made up this whole story, it's all been just kind of written, it's, it's a hoax, these guys just made it up. Well, church history tells us that these guys didn't just die for their message, they suffered horribly for it. Listen, you gotta ask yourself a question, would you be willing to suffer and die for a lie? These guys did. Consider that. Here's the other thing you need to consider today. Consider the fact that the church grew so quickly in the first century. Why did the church grow so quickly? Why were there so many people believing in Jesus? Because some of them, groups of them at times, had seen the resurrected Christ. Listen, consider the evidence, and Jesus will help you go from doubt to belief. Third takeaway for us today. If you feel hopeless in your failures, Jesus can make you restored. He can make you restored. I know, like, some of you 
have really messed up in life. Some of you are Christians, but you have made mistakes. You might even be embarrassed to come to church. You might be embarrassed to be here today. You don't want God to see you. You don't want other people to see you because you're ashamed. Here's why the resurrection matters for you. It shows you that the power of God is greater than the power of your sin. Listen to me. You're never too dirty that God can't cleanse you. You are never so broken that God can't fix you. You are never so guilty that you can't be forgiven and you are never too unlovely to become loved by God. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He's not gonna give up on you. Jesus died to pay for Peter's sins and he's died to pay for yours. Jesus overcame the grave for Peter and he overcame it for you as well. Jesus helps you go from failure to restoration. We believe Jesus changes people. And he didn't just do it for people back in Bible times. He still does it for people today in our time. And like we've done in every sermon in this series, I want you to once again hear a personal testimony video from a member of our church named Josh. Check out his story. Yeah, so I was raised in a uh, Christian home. Um, My mom and my dad uh, raised me with Christian values. I really started falling away when I was like 13. So anything they told me that was good and true, I did the opposite. So that meant I started doing drugs, I started messing around with girls, and in that I started really developing anger issues and looking for fights. Everything came to a head about like when I was 16 and uh, it just kept going downhill and downhill. To remember vividly sitting in my bed, ready to do it, ready to end it all. And that's when I heard not an audible voice, but like a feeling of just wait three days. So I waited the three days and on that third day, um, I ran into some old friends who were believers, true believers, and their attitude just showing love and having hope and having like fun changed my perspective because up to that point I would wear this like cloak of perfection and would like be like I don't know why I still feel the way I feel and so a couple of these friends kept pouring into me and sharing the gospel so August of that year I went to a Christian summer camp Uh, I had a counselor who kind of like we were all sitting in this group and he was like how many of you like confess Christ. So they went around and like, of course, everybody but me. And uh, like, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. So later that day, he like walks up to me and was like, hey, like, I appreciate you being honest with yourself and like honest with us. Have you ever read The Roman Road? And I started reading. And that is when like, it started to click. And it started to make sense that like, I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus and who Jesus was. Next morning, you know, we did up, we have breakfast, we go to a, a sermon and I'm sitting there in the sermon and like the pastor is like, I don't know how to explain it. It was like, he took all my questions and were like answering them. And like was giving me the gospel over and over and over again. And it was like, one of the questions I remember vividly is like, okay, if I go forward and I give my life to the Lord, it's like, everybody's gonna know. I'm supposed to be a Christian. Like that's who I'm supposed to be. And if I say, well, I'm saved now. Now everybody knows that I wasn't saved before. And so I just remember like, sitting in my chair being like, if I don't go forward now, I don't know if I'll ever be able to again. And so I went forward, talked to the leader that was there and gave my life to Christ. Shortly thereafter, I went back home. Although my heart changed, 
um, my actions wasn't following. And so I was like reading my ballet every day and I had a good friend of mine who would call me out. I would get drunk or hung over and he would be like, well, why are you doing that? Through that whole process, I just started getting sober, more sober and more sober, giving one thing up and then the next thing up and then the next thing up. And I can remember that joy of like being clean, feeling like God can really change, change me uh, and change my heart and my outlook on life. If it wasn't for him, I would be not here. Um, there's not a doubt in my mind. Through Jesus, it's like my parents, me and my parents' relationship is a lot better, which is their authority in my life. He definitely have given me a stronger group of friends, which is hands down the, the best. Having that accountability kind of like keeps me on the straight and narrow, which is a testimony to God that he can change my stubborn head to give leeway to his, his book and his, his word. What gets me out of bed is the hope of Christ, hope for the future, hope for the next day. Once I didn't have any hope, and now I have the hope of Christ, which that to me is phenomenal. Can we praise the Lord together this morning for Josh's story? It's not just Josh's story, right? It's really the Lord's story. And his work in Josh's life, you know, I, I once didn't have any hope. Now I have the hope of Christ. Um, you know, I don't know if you caught it in Josh's story, but he said, about to end it all, but waited three days. How appropriate for Easter Sunday. After three days, he met some people who had met the resurrected Christ and they introduced him to Jesus. Amazing. Some of you might be here today because somebody who knows the resurrected Christ invited you to come. And they wanted you to hear about the hope that you can have in Jesus. And maybe it's true. Some of you might be here today and you may be dealing with a lack of hope. Maybe it's you're hopeless because you're dealing with issues pertaining to death and grieving. Maybe some of you are dealing with issues pertaining to doubt. Maybe others who are here today are, are dealing with issues really pertaining to failures and mistakes that you've made. I want you to know something. I think Jesus has you here today because he wants you to know that he can change you. He changes people. People like Josh, people like me, people like Mary and Thomas and Peter. He meets us right where we are, and he sends us out changed because Jesus changes people. He sends us out with hope. You know, I said at the beginning of this sermon that I want you to have hope today. I want you to have rock-solid confidence that leads to your joy and I, I said at the beginning, like, I don't want you to leave here today with wishful thinking. Like, I don't want you to leave here today thinking, well, I hope I can have eternal life after this, this life is over. Uh, I don't want you leaving here thinking, like, I hope that Jesus is actually worth believing in, or I hope Jesus will forgive all my sins and failures. I don't want you to have that kind of hope. What I want you to have is rock-solid, confident assurance Right? I want you to be able to come to the place in your life where you say, you know what? I have hope in life and in death. And I have hope during my times of doubt. And I have hope, you know, when, um, when I wonder if my sins are forgiven, I have hope. I want you to have that type of hope because here's the bottom line about Easter. Easter, like we said earlier, the best, the best type of hope isn't hope like a verb. And the best type of hope is 
like a noun, but it's not just a noun. True hope is a pronoun. True hope is a name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus? I want you to have him today. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a time to reflect and listen to what God may be saying to you today. If you would, with me, everybody in the room, if you would just bow your head, just close your eyes right in your seat where you are. Just bow your head down, close your eyes, and just have a private moment right now where you are listening in your heart to what God may be saying to you. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know why I came today. I didn't know why I came at first, but you've heard the preaching of God's word and you feel like God had you here because he just wanted to talk right to you. I think that's because that's he is. Some of you may have something going on inside of you, something like you've never felt before or maybe for some of you you haven't felt for a long time. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit calling you to listen to God's voice. Some of you may have come in today really, really hopeless and you really resound with people who are struggling with issues pertaining to death or doubt or failures. On this Easter Sunday, I want you to know this. Jesus came and died and rose again so that you can have hope. But in order to have that hope, you need to have Jesus. So I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as your personal Savior. That's the invitation for you today, to repent of your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as your personal Savior. And when you receive him, you'll have hope. Rock-solid certainty that leads to your joy, come death, come doubts, come failure. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I say amen, the band and the worship team is going to lead us in a couple closing songs. And during that time, I want to give you an opportunity to come and receive prayer. When we start to sing, the two double doors in the back center of this auditorium will be open. And on either side of those double doors, we have prayer rooms, one prayer room for men, one prayer room for women. We have prayer team members who are ready to receive you there and pray with you. So when we start to sing, if you are struggling, if you'd like to pray, if you just have something going on in your heart and you're like, you know what, I think today needs to be my day to be saved and receive Jesus. When we start to sing, I want to invite you to come right out those two back double doors in the center of this room and we will have people there, myself, I'll be back there. I'd just love to talk with you, pray with you, meet you right where you are and point you to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of the resurrection. Thank you for this Easter Sunday where we remember the living Christ. We thank you that you are alive right now, Lord. Even in this moment, you're living. Thank you that you send your Holy Spirit to make uh, conviction, to bring truth, to help us believe the teaching that you have given this world. And I pray, Lord, for every one of us in this room right now, especially those who have a strong sense of your Holy Spirit tugging on their heart right now. I pray, Lord, that you would give them ears to hear what you're saying and that they would respond accordingly. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of you, those of us who have believed that we have living hope that will carry us through this lifetime and eventually lead us all the way home. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you 
for the truth of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen. I want to invite you guys to stand right now and begin to sing. As we begin to sing, you can just step right out of your aisle, wherever you are. Just make your way down your aisle, right out these back double doors, prayer rooms on the left and right. We would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. If the Lord is tugging on your heart, respond to him. Don't delay.